So this isn't a statement about Christianity or religion. Okay, good start. Before I go any further. Always a good way to start. Good start. (laughs) This is not a commentary on any belief system, and it is not indicative even of my own personal opinions. But, But shortly before we recorded... It hit me as a wave of realisation that nowhere in the Bible does it actually say it happened. (laughs) You mean the Bible? Like the events of the Bible? Nowhere in there did it say, oh, this is real? Yeah, because the reason the Bible is real, people say, is because the Bible is here. Yeah, because it exists, therefore it is real. Yeah. But nowhere, like, near the end does it say, and get this right... All that shit went down. (laughs) (laughs) Are you saying that any book that doesn't explicitly say that it is non-fiction should be taken as fiction? All I'm saying is this, right? If I check out a book, like, Bind, Torture, Kill, The BTK Murders, right? Right. That will tell me things that happened. And it will say, this happened. And then it'll have like a photo of of like Dennis Rader looking all like sad because he got caught. <laughs> but in the Bible, it's it. I mean, it's Harry Potter, right? If you read that, J.K. Rowling doesn't say all of that shit happened. Well, no, of course she can't because she keeps changing it. Well, J.K. Rowling says a lot of things <laughs> that she shouldn't say, but she has never said that. I'm just, I'm just saying. <laughs> If if I wrote the Bible and I'd seen any of that nonsense, I'd have written at the end, mate, this shit happened. <laughs> I know you won't believe me, and I'd have taken a photo if I could, but I don't have a camera because it's the Bible. Because this is the olden times. <laughs> I'm just saying, it's the Bible never sold itself as a factual account. Someone could have written it for a laugh, or it was their Da Vinci Code, and they'd have thought that at the time. Well, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you the reverse, Jim. Uh, what, what's a, what's a, a widely known fiction book? Uh, the, the Chronicles of Narnia. Nowhere in there does it say this didn't actually happen. The Chronicles of Narnia might be an accurate account of of events that occurred. They never said it didn't happen. I hope not, because it's really awful. <laughs> <laughs> like, once you get past Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, you're like, oh, oh, there's some shit here. Isn't isn't the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe just Bible fan fiction anyway? Oh, all oh, of the Chronicles yeah. of Narnia is Bible. Yeah. Aslan is Jesus Christ. Yeah. So, so really, <laughs> you know. All feeding at the same trough here. Yeah. The Bible doesn't say it all really happened. The Chronicles of Narnia doesn't say it all really happened. No, it's it's C.S. Lewis's headcanon. <laughs> well, that in my mind says, and again, this isn't a statement on anything, that there's just as much a chance of God like looking all down and saying, right, at some point, right, you're all going to hell except a few of you who will just leave clothes behind, and a talking lion. And again, that's not <laughs> that's not indicative of any belief system. That's just me thinking there's a chance. <laughs> There's a talking lion knocking about. I mean, with the way the world's going. Yo, that makes me want to believe. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'll I'll believe in a talking lion. Why not? I'll believe in anything. Yep. I I will sign myself up. I want to see the conversation between Aslan and Joe Exotic. I want to see them chat. (laughs) (sighs) 
Well, I mean, the the lion wouldn't be able to work the phone. Well, because because he's got it. Oh, could you imagine? Could you imagine the visitors' room? The visitors' room with the talking lion, and the lion puts his paw up against the glass for show exotic. Because you wished on a monkey's paw that a lion could visit Joe Exotic in prison. And that little chimpanzee said, fuck you. Oh. Oh, God, it's 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 gift to the Magi all over again, isn't it? I don't know why I said Magi. <laughs> oh, dear, dearie me, dearie And yet video games keep happening. They do. Yeah. They don't stop. In these uncertain times, you can count on us to tell you if your favourite video games are good or perfect. Great or perfect shit. <laughs> <laughs> you fucked it up, Jim. You fucked it up. We had two words. I revealed the third eye. <laughs> Fuck. We'll have to edit out mention of the third eye of Belial. <laughs> Video games, are they great or perfect? Great or perfect, there's only two. There's only two options. Very much like there's only two Highlander movies, the first one and the second one, which made a lot of sense canonically, if you think about it. I really like the second one, I'm sorry, it's so dumb. I would have thought there would only be one Highlander movie because there can only be one. No, it turns out there can be an entire franchise, including a TV show. (laughs) I haven't seen Highlander 2 since I was a kid. I've seen it once, and all I remember was a guy at the beginning who was awesome. He was basically like a Freddy Krueger version of one of those <laughs> like immortal people, because he was all cracking wise. In my head, he looked a bit like Meatloaf, and he drove a train. I watched this when I was about five. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I don't know how screen accurate any of that is, whether Meatloaf drove a train while behaving like Freddy Krueger. I don't know. I, I like that movie because Russell Mulcahy did a, like, renegade cut because there was this whole problem with the studio and they made him make all these cuts and then they let him make a renegade cut. And it makes no more sense. <laughs> it's just as fucking bonkers and stupid. Oh, love it. I like that it's called the renegade cut. Yeah, How right. arrogant is that? That's incredible. Well, and it's also kind of like uh, a load of bullshit because how renegade could it be? You've still got the same goddamn distributor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the renegade cut with an acceptable boundaries. <laughs> Screw you, the man, if I may. <laughs> Excuse me, could I have a per- could I have permission to flick you off? <laughs> Oh, are we are we discussing a film director or the DNC? Oh. <laughs> oh, every day's another death. How is everyone? Yeah, getting by. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Yeah, surviving. Yeah, every day for me is another death. That's that's how I've categorized um, existence. Now I wake up, I die. Yep, and that's it. I've I've taken to listening to to horror horror fiction podcasts because weirdly that that is better than than looking out the window right now. Very good, very good, very good. I just didn't want to crawl out of my bed this morning. I just I didn't. You know, I'm not normally like an early riser or anything. I tend to be up until one, two, three in the morning most nights, and I'll. You know, sleep till nine or something. But then, like ten forty-five rolled around today, and I was Whoa. still in the and, and yeah. I wasn't sleeping or anything. It was just the thought of doing anything, any action in my day yeah. at all, was just so overwhelmingly oppressive. The world, the world is just a lot, Conrad. 
if I wear a mask and gloves and I'm really, really good, can you lie in bed all day being Mason Verger while I'm Cordell? You got it. I'm there for you. <laughs> I'd like you to be there going, Cordell, Cordell, get me those pigs. And then I'll be like, oh, I'll push you into some pigs one, one of these days. And you'll go, oh, you kidder. <laughs> Are we doing everything we can to avoid the topic? Is that what's happening here? What topic? The, the, the vi- whether video games are great or perfect. Oh, oh, no, no, no. We can, we can get cracking on that if you want. I just, I'm just distracted. It's just there's a lot to talk about today. You realize how starved for human voices we get around here. Oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, so there's an update on a story from last week that, that feels worth sharing. So, you know, last week there was all that nonsense about that Cooking Mama game on Switch that <laughs> was like... There's a lot of he said, she said about like how this game came out and why it stopped existing. On the seashore, yeah. Yeah. So Office Create, who are the company that own Cooking Mama as a brand, put out a press release today. Yep. And here is like the summary. They got a company called Planet Entertainment, who were like the developers, to make a Cooking Mama game. And they, you know, made a build of it and showed it to the licensed people and went, hey, this we're done, what do you think? And the license holders were like, this is shit, this is not of the quality we expect, this is not okay, here's our big list of problems. Do not release it, you have to fix these things, we, we do not, we will not <laughs> let you sell it like this. The developer went ahead and just started selling it. They put it on the eShop, they made physical copies, they got it out into people's hands. It got taken off the the eShop because the license holder had to go contact Nintendo and go, hey, hey, we didn't say they could publish this. Can you take it down, please? We own the brand. We, we the don't... DMCA striked them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it gets it gets more than 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 all that. So since then, the developer has started promoting and announcing a European release of a <laughs> PS4 version of the game, which the the license holder never gave them permission to make. They didn't get a license to make a PS4 Cookin' Mama game. But the developer's like, oh no, we've made it. It's happening. It's coming to Europe. What the fuck? Yeah. So the license holder has had to terminate the license, the developer's license to work on that game. Um... Since their license got terminated, this company is still selling copies of the game physically on their website. The developer doesn't have a license to make games about this. They're still selling the game on their website. Shit, I'm going to buy me one of them. Do you know what makes this extra funny to me in my head? Yeah. Is five simple words. The gang develops Cooking Mama. (laughs) The level of audacity in this game. Yeah. So, like, it hit first of all... Comrade, I'm glad you said I've got to get myself one of these. I did manage to get myself a physical copy of this. I have a sealed physical copy, and I've just got it sat there because it feels like a oh yeah a thing lost of time. That that's gonna be a historical like collector's <laughs> it, it, item at it, some point. It may not be collectible or worth anything, but it will be a piece of my collection that years from now I can go. I've got a couple of unique video games. I've got this one Cooking Mama game that wasn't supposed to get released, and this Deadly Premonition with Jim's face on the cover. <laughs> it's like it's like my copy of Limbo of the Lost, where it's like it's. Worthless, but sort of priceless. Oh, they're sold out now. Oh, they, oh, okay, okay. So 
I did manage to get one of these. Um, beyond this, the license holder is now having to sue the developer because they won't stop selling the game. That's amazing. It's so weird. So, like, you won't yeah. stop making our game. You won't yeah. stop making our game. Stop it. And they, they're just doing it. So everything about Planet Entertainment now feels skeezy. Right. Yeah. Because, you know, they did that whole blockchain thing months ago with the press yeah. release and that was a little weird. And then now this stuff. And it's just, and the thing is, is that I feel like I know these people. Like, I feel like I have met and engaged with exactly the sort of people who would get this license, make a crappy game and then push it out, irregardless of the terms of their license. I just never thought they'd get to... <laughs> actually do it <laughs> you know what my favorite thing about this is this is a uk-based game developer with a publicly listed office address oh. and it's like an hour from me i could i could just show up and go so, so what, what what you doing friend well can you <laughs> under the circumstances that's the whole thing covid's protecting them oh god you're right Oh god, COVID is the only reason I can't go and do investigative journalism. <laughs> well, it's is it though? Because <laughs> the office won't be occupied and you could do I've seen journalists just do it in films, so I don't think it's all that illegal really to just break in. So long as you've got a little torch to shine over the documents. Yeah. That you pull out of a big conspicuous filing cabinet. Oh, I, I need to have like a thing that says that I'm like a journalist reporter. Mm -hmm. I need to have the hat that has a little press mm -hmm. hat token in it. Yep. So when I break in and the police show up, I'll be like, hey, I'm, I'm an investigator. I'm here doing doing reporting. But you've got to, basically, you if you're dressed <laughs> like that, you can commit any crime. With, oh, yeah, yeah. Provided you're within 20 minutes of one of those public phones that are on the wall with the little bit of board around them. Yeah. So that you can run back and tell the editor. Yeah. I mean, uh, Planet Entertainment's going to wind up back in six months under some other name, just so we're all clear. Look forward yeah, to more yeah. more madness, but... Uh, God. It's, I it's, don't know. It's, it's I heard planets die in cloud. Jim, do you want to talk you about all... that final... Final Fantasy VII Here's remake. The thing. Here's the thing. Do we want to like make that the last topic so that people can enjoy a lovely podcast and then they can bow out near the end if they want? Uh, yeah. yeah. That seems considerate. Yeah. I, I think like maybe when we get around to talking about it, we talk about like the stuff that's not spoilery and then maybe the the spoilery stuff yeah. later. <laughs> Patreon.com slash Jimquisition. Quick, get them in now. Get them in now. Give me money, you bastards. <laughs> We gotta do this because we normally do it at the end. G give me right. Uh, what do we want to talk about? <laughs> oh, I, I I can talk about a game that I I didn't get my hands on it. I got to see a bunch of it because yeah. you know COVID nineteen is happening. I, the, the intention had been for me to go to a developer's studio and touch a game, uh, but I couldn't do that. So. Uh, you know, Man of Medan, that super massive uh, horror game, the, the Until Dawn people. I'm apparently in a minority of people who liked it. Yeah, I really liked it too. Yeah. Uh, I, you, did you did you get round to playing uh, Man of Medan in online co-op? That sort of you only see half the story. It thing. was exclusively how we played it, and yeah. And the thing is, I'm very much against saying people have played games wrong. Mm. So what I my take on that is, a lot of people played it in a way that wasn't the one way the developers optimised it for, mm -hmm. and yes. consequently had a, a dimmer view of it, which they've every right to because that's 
that was their experience. I, I will say that it is a good game regardless, but there are certain elements that work really well that only exist if you play it in co-op. It, some a Certain narrative beats are built around you not having the full information of what part of your party of characters yeah. has experienced. Do we know if they're trying to change that for the other ones? Yeah, so I, yeah. I can talk a little bit about okay. this. So... Um, Summer 2020, the next one of their Dark Pictures anthology, which is basically once a year or so, it seems like they're going to try and release a five hour long little horror game that will be on a different horror genre. And the new one's called Little Hope and it's coming out this summer. Mechanically, I'll I'll talk about the simple simple stuff off the top of my head. Mechanically, it's very much the same idea. Uh, You'll still be able to like play it through in co-op where one person sees half of the scenes and the other person sees the other half and then you've got all this stuff to discuss and all this sort of like, I didn't know that's what was going on and that's why I made this decision and ah! So they're doing all all that shit again, which I'm I'm really into. I think that's a really really wise choice. Mm -hmm. Um, There's some mechanical stuff that I found out about while doing an interview that I think is kind of interesting. Um, So while all of these are standalone games, if you have save data for other dark pictures games there will be some like you know that curator character who sort of talks to the camera he's like oh i know you're playing a video game i like him he's fun yeah yeah so they'll like if you just play a random one of these you know if you just play little hope coming up he won't acknowledge anything but if you've played man of badan already he might go so i am aware that you played man of badan previously and that's how that went let me tell you a little bit about my ongoing story that is separate from the standalone stories. You can find out a bit more about me, and, you know, yeah. apparently that'll be a thing to, like, sort of reward you for, for playing lots of them. That's that's kind of a nice idea. Mm-hmm. I, I, I like that. And mechanically, other than that, like, the big change they've made is... You know how through most of um, Until Dawn and Man of Medan, there's just, like, little sparkly things around that you go investigate to, like, interact with things? Yeah. And they didn't really tell you what you were going to do. It's like, there's a sparkle. I'm going to click on it because it's there. Yeah. They've made a lot of changes to this to sort of better contextualize what you're going to interact with if you interact with a sparkly thing. So, like, Mm -hmm. it will tell you, like, let's say there's a little sparkle on a kitchen counter. It it might give you some indication there's a knife there. And if you interact with this, you're going to pick up and take the knife with you. Or you're going to have a look at this thing and then put it back down. You're not putting it in your inventory. Like, trying to give you upfront information about, like, what kind of interaction you're going to do so you're not just blindly clicking on everything. I think that's an interesting idea. What I'm not so sure about, and I want to see how it ends up in in more uh, depth, is they're going to signpost more when one of those interactive points is going to lead to a quick time event. So you'll know before clicking on it, I'm going to have a quick time event in a second. And they'll give you more information up front about what that's going to achieve if you succeed or fail. Hmm. And like, their their reasoning is very much, we think that giving the player more information allows them to make more uh, informed choices. And I get that. Yeah. I do have that little bit of me that worries, is that going to impact the the scariness of it if... If you know what's coming to a certain degree before you click on something, is that going to make it less scary? Yeah. At the same time, like, the jump scare is the cheapest of all scares. And when it comes right down to it, that's what a quick time event is. Yeah. So I'm not going to bemoan the loss of that particular opportunity when they'll have plenty of others to employ the same 
mechanic if they want to. Yeah, yeah, and it, it it's certainly not a big issue. It's the only it's the only mechanical change they've made where I'm like, I'm curious to see if this makes it feel different. I could see, I could see how it could cause detriments, but like I've not seen enough of it to 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 know if that'll be the case or anything. I have to wonder how much of this, uh, with quick time events, you know, now I sort of think about it, how much of this is just mm. a difference between people who were really, you know, playing games in the '90s, late '90s, uh, early yeah. 2000s, versus uh, when quick time events started becoming more and more commonplace in the mid 2000s. Mm. Because we were conditioned to, oh, cutscenes happening, I could put the controller down yeah. and relax and enjoy this. And then the introduction of that, I think there was some backlash for people who have that sort of expectation. Um, and over time, mm. I think it would have just gone away and we all would have sort of been, oh, this is just the way things are and yeah. that's fine. Not to say that this is a step back, but it's interesting to sort of re-examine how these mechanics can be applied. Uh, in this way now yeah. so long after they've been implemented oh for sure yeah so yeah like me mechanically other than those couple of those couple of little changes there's some other bits that are like slightly better walk speed variation that's more contextual to what's going on in the scene stuff like that a bit a bit more camera controlled it seems largely it's the same thing they're making another man of madame but on a different kind of horror theme what theme is that laura yeah little hope uh so to get into specifically like what this one's about um, ha i feel like i have to preface this it's gonna sound like i'm telling you a lot of the plot I'm not. I am telling you like the four, three or four sentences that this press event that I I went to online that they started by explaining the game with. Because this is gonna, it's gonna sound like I'm throwing like four or five different plots at you at once. And I, it, mm -hmm. it's this is basic premise stuff apparently. So let's get into it. You are a class of people on a a university field trip. You've got like a university professor, a mature student, and three, like, 20-something idiot kids. They crash their bus into a Midwestern town, and it's surrounded by deep fog, and they can't escape. Then they have a flashback to the 1970s, where a family who have the same faces as them get murdered by maybe a child who's, like, the omen, and th they show this creature with this child. It's like, oh, okay, so there's, there's, a, there's an omen child. And then they're back in the present day, and then they get dragged back in time. Not a flashback, they get dragged physically back in time to the 17th century witch trials and see people with their faces being killed in the witch trials. And then they're back in the modern day, and then they're being chased by monsters. Okay. That's the premise of so, this game? <laughs> basically, they go back in time. And and they see past versions of themselves that are basically the same faces and the same. Is this not just Black Adder back and forth? <laughs> <laughs> so it seems like that. It seems like in the first forty minutes of this game, they're throwing like four different horror tropes at you. Like, there's is is this Silent Hill? You're trapped in a weird town surrounded by fog that you can't escape. Is it the Omen? Is it a time travel thing? That's Cabin is in the Woods. The, yeah, is it? It uh, here's the thing. No, it's Cabin in the Woods. They're just throwing a whole bunch of shit at the wall. Here's the thing. Cabin in the Woods was a parody of horror that was like poking fun of the fact it was throwing all these things in. Like, 
I have to I have to assume that some of these are red herrings because this feels like a lot of plot threads to try and throw at the player in like 40 minutes. It's a little Blair Witch, a little Silent Hill, although Silent Hill had the the witch stuff too in it with yeah. uh, all of that. So I don't know. I'm, yeah. I'm interested to see how they handle uh, witch trials. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll say this much. From having seen 40 minutes of this game, it seems very clear that they're going to do the whole tra- trapping of, ooh, were, was, were there actually witches? Were they right that there were witches in the witch trials? And... Oh, so it's, that's in the trailer. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's that. There's... <laughs> I, I love that. I love the idea that someone, like, just woke up one day and thought, yeah, but what if they were witches, though? <laughs> What, <laughs> and then they made a video game to justify their thought. Yeah, it's it, there's like a bit of there's a bit of that. There's a bit of ooh, recurring. The same people keep being born and and dying horribly, and maybe that's the th- and or maybe there's a little child with a spooky thing attached to the. It's, I have to I have to hope that some of these are red herrings because it feels like a lot of plots to try and bring together in five hours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, the acting though was real solid. I w- I really enjoyed like a lot of the performances I saw in in the start of that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Will Poulter, who is like the the face from that trailer, who you might recognise as like, oh, he's been in some films. It's a fella from Bandersnatch, right? Yeah, yeah, he was in Bandersnatch. Uh, he was in Midsummer recently. Oh, that's a good. Um, that's a, a yeah. good film. That. So what I'll say about his performance, he does a really good job of like. Uh, because there are like three different time periods that these characters seem to be in uh, that are like different people, but they have the same faces. He he does a very good job of doing three distinct, very well performed like accents for different uh, different areas that don't sound forced. He he does a very good Northern English accent for his seventeenth century people just came over from England time. He does a very good like Midwestern American accent. Like he he. He seems to be like pulling out a really good performance. I'm interested to see Supermassive have a horror game where there are people who aren't idiot twenty somethings. I'm excited to see a couple of older characters because, like, I'm curious what horror situations you put an old granny through that are just as tense but are physically escapable. Yeah, what's she got to live for? Her her character, from what I've seen, seems to be prim and proper. Uh, skeptic of anything evil, but like the game, the game is throwing the, its supernatural elements at you so fast that I don't know how long she can stay skeptical. She's the villain. It's not like uh, entirely possible. It's, or I, uh, she is an ancestor <laughs> of of Diane Scully. <laughs> I I was kind of interested in the fact that like both Until Dawn and Man of Medan take like an hour or so to slowly introduce you to their characters before anything supernatural happens. This one does the opposite. Within like minutes, it's like, oh, we're having flashbacks to a murder house. And like, it it gets real quick into that plot. Yeah. (laughs) So, and that's, I kind of appreciate that. I, I kind of appreciate it jumping right into the okay, here's your group of people, scary situation. Well, I mean, yeah, if you're doing an anthology, I mean, do it as different as you can, I guess. Yeah. If you if you're capable. I mean, I'm I'm definitely gonna give this a, a give this a go when it comes out because I've really enjoyed both Man of Medan and Until Dawn. I have no reason to suspect I won't enjoy this. I'm just cautious of how many horror genres they're throwing mm. in the mix very quickly. I think I've mentioned on this podcast a Netflix original series called Slasher, which is an anthology series. Every season is a different like slasher horror mm. 
thing. And they are so clearly influenced by um, Supermassive's work. Mm. And you could see it in the show. The season two especially is like so... There are so many clear inspirations from Until Dawn. It's actually kind kind of remarkable. It's also um, one of the gayest horror series I've seen. Mm. There's There's a lot of... I think I mentioned that last time as well. There's just a lot of gay in it, which is uh, fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, very. It's not a great series, but it's an interesting one, especially with the with how clearly influenced it is by uh, Supermassive. Yeah. Speaking of horror-y things, I did play uh, some of that Resident Evil Two oh. remake this Ooh, week. How- You're scaring me already. How are you getting on with it? Good. Good. I've reached the tyrant. Mm-hmm. You know, Mr. X is chasing me around, and that's fun. Um, boy, you know, you would think, and this, this is the observation that I made pretty quickly, uh, they removed the tank controls, and yet the character still does not move nearly as well as I think they should. <laughs> like, the run is really just a very marginal improvement over the walk speed. Yeah. yeah, but if they let you have control, it wouldn't be scary. Yeah, no, it'd still be scary. I just wouldn't be frustrated by the fact that I can't run past this guy. It wouldn't be scary. <laughs> what are you on about, comrade? It wouldn't be scary. Yeah. I mean, something about it... I don't know, something... Because I, I totally get... Like, I thought that Resident Evil 2 put paid to that idea that shitty controls mm. made a game scary, that, like they always said about the original uh, series. Um, but then the controls in Resident Evil 2 always felt mm-hmm. good to me. And I don't think they're bad. It's totally fine. I'm just... It's, it is interesting, I think, that they still tried to maintain... Because it's, it's clear they could have very easily looked at this and said, oh, you know what? Yeah. Because for the number of times I have run into problems evading enemies using it, obviously they had to have. So this is like a conscious choice to make it only a marginal improvement. And I'm fine with that, but it's just sort of an observational thing Mm -hmm. that they're still sort of working that mobility angle. I do wonder if there is like an attempt at, maybe they were trying to get a happy medium of, this feels like you remember but is objectively better in that regard. And like it, it, is. it objectively plays better, but it does still feel slightly like that. Yeah. Slow, sluggish. Ah, oh, the thing's coming for me. And then there's the shit like they built a police station in an old art museum, but that's why it's got all this fucking <laughs> weird shit in it. I love that. I love oh, the yeah. doors with the it. I I always think about oh gosh how ridiculous Resident Evil has gotten, and now I play Resident Evil remake. Resident Evil 2 remake, and I'm like, oh, no, wait, no. No, this was always really fucking stupid. Yeah, the way I look at it is it's a corporation run by wannabe supervillains, mm-hmm. and that just explains everything. Like, when you look at, at all the founders of Umbrella and the shit they were up to, they all thought they were fucking Norman Osborn or what have you. Like, Umbrella would fit into Marvel so oh, yeah. easily. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the series is basically a, a zombie flick that got taken over by comic book supervillains. Yeah, yeah, and and I'm fine with it, and I'm having a lot of fun, and I, I, I know that I played both campaigns in the original, Yeah. and I'm enjoying this enough that when I'm done with Chris, I'll probably go do Claire as well here, too. Hmm. Um, Leon, the, the commenters will go down. Oh, is it throat. Leon? That's right, Chris, Chris is yeah, her Leon. brother, and uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Interchangeable white dude. Well, yeah. Um, Claire's campaign is good. Yeah. Because that's got the, the their, revert, their, their redone version of um, Chief Irons mm. is so good. 
Okay. He's, he's easily the scariest thing they've ever done in Resident Evil as a series. Well, then I'll definitely give that a run. Because, yeah, very, very yeah. good. So, well, I, I've been super impressed. Super impressed with Resident Evil. Nice. By contrast, Uh-oh. I also played Borderlands 3 this week. <laughs> okay. I just wanted to say, um, oh please, just further to your point about about maneuverability, they added a dodge for Jill in Resident Evil Three mm. in the remake, mm. um, which does help. It's very hard to nail, especially for the nemesis. I'm okay with that if it's difficult to nail. If it's a maneuver that can be executed and it has a, a function, but is challenging, that's fine. I mean, yeah. that's no different from a parry, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and if you really perfectly nail it, you actually um, get a little flash, and then if you aim you get a tiny little bit of slow motion oh cool yeah that's cool yeah i like that uh so yeah i played borderlands 3 a bit this week significantly less than i played resident evil 2 remake um Mm -hmm. for a series that is uh, i I think you could say that one of the defining characteristics of borderlands it is is that it is um a lot yeah yes borderlands 3 is a (laughs) bit much it it is everything all the time and it never lets up it's what i like to categorize as steady on and it's not even like i'm not even talking about like events and progression and things like this i'll level with you i did not get very far (laughs) right i i I made it as far as i think um i've I've established the base i have all of the my my abilities are unlocked now i just got grenades Mm. recently that's how far I got. I made it for past the tutorial mission and the first like mission or two. And it's too much. It's just too much. They've uh, visually overhauled this to such a degree that it is overwhelming yeah. to look at. Um, and I love the new character designs. I love the tanks. I think they're great. Um, I, I really genuinely like the character designs. The diversity between them is incredibly good. But for all of the extra effort that they put into visual design for the characters, they also did that with the environments, and it's too much. Uh, It's just visually overwhelming. And then there's the UI, which I hate. I mm-hmm. hate the UI overhaul that they did. The change of how they organize inventory so that it has this visual grid entirely and the layout's bad. The redesign... I don't like the way the guns look now. And for a game that's all about the guns... I don't know. I I played like an hour and a half and I closed it and I'll never play it again. I just it don't care. Extra. I just don't care. And I even... I, I was playing Flack, who uh, is the clearly the Roland replacement... You know, it's a little bit of uh, a blood wing with a little bit of turret, and that's what you got there. It's fine. Are you telling me that all of the mid-2000s memes in that game were not enough to keep you around and playing, Conrad? They had a robot called Amber Lamps! (laughs) 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 Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm good. I'm good. The the menu at one point said Pickle Rick. (laughs) (laughs) I know what that is. None of this stuff means anything to me. (laughs) Exactly. Borderlands 3 contextualized for me why I can't get into that series story and lore and what have you. Mm -hmm. I think I said it in the video. It's in a galaxy full of assholes. The villains aren't assholes. Right. They're just there. They're just people. Among all the other assholes. It's just... Almost everyone in that game is some form of jerk. 
and an annoying jerk at that. I mean, even the playable characters, you know, you, the, the flack dialogue as he's, you know, explaining his motivations to characters like, oh, OK, so you're just another jerk. Cool. Cool. Yeah. It's like it's it's like American Psycho without a point. So it's like American Psycho. Yeah. <laughs> well, the point of that was Brett Easton Ellis is a terrible writer. You're right. That's an excellent point and well made. No, no, <laughs> no. The point of it was he did what with the head in the book? That's the point of American Psycho. <laughs> I read that book. It's full of assholes. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So anyway, that's what I played this week, pretty much, yeah. among oh, some other smaller things that nobody cares about. I, 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 the only other, I've, I've not really been playing anything else other than Final Fantasy, which we'll get to in a minute. Yeah. The, uh, we, we were talking about horror before. I've been listening to a lot of a horror podcast this last couple of weeks that I yeah. feel that, like is worth recommending, and I'm going to throw it in even though it's not a video well, game. Do it! I've been really enjoying this podcast called The Magnus Archives. Oh, I've heard good things about that. Yeah, yeah. So I've I've had people recommending this to me for like, years and i've just never gotten around to it and i finally get what all the like why people are really into it so it starts off as like really short and simple 20 minute horror like little isolated seeming uh you know anthology of horror stories they're about 20 minutes long they're all really well performed and they're just like very relatable fears um i very much enjoy that they're all set in like the UK, and I'm like, I know those places these horror stories are set. And as it goes on, it does start to develop this really interesting meta-narrative, which, like, I am a decent chunk into now, and it's really, really gripping me. The The big overarching mystery is, like, they have a couple of minutes of overarching mystery stuff at this start of uh, or end of an episode, and it's like, ooh, that's really interesting, I wonder where that's going. Then you just have a cool 20-minute horror story about a skydiver who got swallowed by the sky for a couple of hours and was just floating in a weird void and it was terrifying. Mm. Or a book that every time you read it, it says when you're gonna die, but every time you look at it, it says a time that's sooner. Oh. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Because yeah. why, why wouldn't it? Time has passed. Exactly. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> like, I've very much been enjoying that, and I'd be like, if, if anyone likes anthology horror, I can't recommend it highly enough. It has really crooked me the last couple of weeks. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, anyone else been playing anything else? I mean, I, I haven't read the Bible since I was about four years old, so... But you're convinced that there's... It may say in the book that it doesn't, that it that it did all really happen. At some point in, like, the book of, of Paul or whatever, it might say, here, get a load of this. Well, do we want to do some newsy things before we get into FS7? There's a couple of newsy bits. Um, very positive bit of news. The Switch has finally added uh, the ability to remap all your buttons on a system level, which is great for accessibility. We say finally, but who else does this? Oh, uh, okay. From a, from a basic look, you can do it already on both PS4 and Xbox can One, you? which I thought was the case. Okay. Um, I need to find that in the menus because I am forever, forever wanting to play things one-handed. It's certainly the first i've heard of of this kind of thing actually for this update on the on the switch you can do it on a system level so it works game to game to game the the one thing you can't remap is stuff that is tied to motion controls because obviously sure. you can't have a digital button input be like a a range of movement but 
I've seen a lot of great videos in the last couple of days going up about, like, here's how you can remap X game to be entirely playable one-handed. And that's great. That's wonderful. More games being playable one-handed, particularly with the Joy-Con, which is such a one-hand accessible controller. Yep. That's amazing. Yes. I mean, I've oh, that was the innovation that the Wii brought about for me was not mm. motion control. Yeah. It was so many games. It, it was that separated controller ultimately, that allowed me to sit casually and relax without having my hands forced into one position. And I could do all of the things I would normally do, but I just had a little more freedom of movement and I could be more relaxed. Um, And so any game that I was able to play just with a move controller on PlayStation or just with a Wii nunchuck, um, all about that shit. And so I'm, I'm... more versatility and control options leading to one-handed play is big for me. Yeah, so that that is a really cool thing that happened. If, if you've downloaded the most recent Switch system update, that is now an option. Uh, yeah, the, the other thing I had on the, the docket list, and this is just a story that frustrated me, is Pokemon Go have finally detailed all of their, like, options that are coming in an update this week about, like, how you can play from home, and it is literally a laundry list of all the stuff people have been asking for since, like, that game released for people who are, you know, disabled or live in rural areas. And it is frustrating to see how many of those wish list things have uh, happened now that people have to stay. Well, people who previously could walk to uh, long distances now have to stay home. Um, The list basically includes you can do raids, like any raid within a mile of you that your game can see that the raid is happening. You can do that from home. Uh, you'll eventually have a slightly reduced damage input, but like you'll be- you'll still be able to take part with everyone else. You'll be able to collect um, collect resources from Pokestops without having to go to a Pokestop as long as it's within like a mile of you. Your Pokemon will just go collect it for you. Um, you'll be able. To- There's just a lot of sh- shit like that where it's suddenly like, oh yeah, you can hatch eggs without having to go walking outside. You can you can play the game from home. I'm glad that people who wanted to play this game and could not for whatever reason before now are able to play it. My, my my thought here is they haven't said how permanent these features are going to be, and I'm like, when this virus ends, are they going to start pulling these back? Well... So this is basically this is basically a capitalism yes. simulator now. Yeah. Suddenly yeah. they can yeah. do all the things they couldn't before. Yeah. People who are, uh, you know, disadvantaged are benefiting and wondering if they will still be able to. Yeah. Well, and then, you know, when... All of this clears up and they start to pull back. The torches and pitchforks will come out. Here's the difference. Yeah. The difference is, is that people will actually be properly motivated to do something about Nintendo and who, who's the developer? I can't remember. Niantic. Not important. Uh, Niantic. Pokemon, Niantic. They're going to work their asses off to get them to change that around. The rest of capitalism, yeah, not yeah. so much. Not so much. But that's it. It's once you give people a thing and then take it away, then they will shout. Yeah, you say that, but we're going to see a lot of uh, a lot of things get pulled back. I think on a national level here in the United States, and yeah. capitalism won't get you a shiny liquor will it? Right. <laughs> Niantic will. I'm feeling weird about the whole like Pokemon Go in lockdown thing because I've I've got like a weird, interesting experiment with that coming up on Friday where. I was supposed to be going to Liverpool in the UK um, on Friday of this week because they were going to be doing the first... Uh, they, they do these Safari Zone events around the world every year or so where they're basically like, 
come to this city. We'll get a bunch of people in person. We'll have a bunch of events going on. You can find Pokemon you can't you couldn't normally find in your country. Um, basically trying to condense all the people who were playing that game into one city to recapture that like first summer the game came out where it's like, oh, there's people everywhere playing. I can find people to do raids with. For people who booked to go to that event, it's obviously cancelled because of coronavirus. They're going to let you do the event from home. And I'm real curious what it's going to be like having like, here's all these bonuses, but you sat in your living room playing it by yourself and... I'm very curious to see what that's going to feel like. <laughs> I gotta be honest, I don't think they're going to wind up rolling this back. And I'll, I'll tell you yeah. why. They're going to get more people playing and more yeah. engagement and more activity. Yeah. And they're not going to yep. roll it back to lose that ground that they gained. And all the people who are going outside and feeling good will now all stay at home <laughs> and turn into husks i think what they'll probably do is uh i mean if they want to motivate people to go out they'll probably enhance the value of proximity that seems to be the plan because like one of the things they talked about is um at, at launch when they start letting you do these raids like from a distance from like a mile away you'll do the same amount of damage from a distance as you do uh in person if you go to attend the raid but it seems like the way they're going to roll that back slightly is eventually people who go and do it in person will do slightly more damage and have an easier time, which incentivizes like you might not need as many people to do the raid if those people meet up in person. Right. So like it, it slightly incentivizes there is a benefit to you meeting up in person or maybe giving you slightly more rewards for completing the task if you do it in person. I'm fine with that. That feels like the way to do it. Yeah, I'm fine with that. I think that's a, a good middle ground. It doesn't cut anybody out of the the experience that wants to have it. Yeah, give you a bonus for going out and doing it outside like they intend, but still let you have a decent play experience from home. Yeah, I think that's wise. They should update the app and call it Pokemon Stay. <laughs> Pokemon Sleep still hasn't come out. I don't know what they're going to do while I'm sleeping yet. Oh, God, I don't want to think about it. Yeah? I don't want to think about Pokemon watching me when I sleep. Uh, I want to play Pokemon Blow. <laughs> it's it's just, you know, a bunch of Pokemon trying to, you know, cocaine traffic. Yeah. yeah. That's it. It's just, just cocaine trafficking. <laughs> and you get one that looks like Johnny Depp. Just good old harmless cocaine trafficking. I, I imagine a Snorlax could probably snuggle, smuggle quite a lot under its rolls of fat on its big belly. Mm. Mm -hmm. And who's going to try and wake that, that thing up to inspect? Yeah, no, exactly. sir. Yeah, if you just put the cocaine underneath the Snorlax, who's going to lift the Snorlax up to see the cocaine? No one. I mean, I'm imagining in the Pokemon world, there's no way this hasn't happened. There's no way yeah. that Pokemon haven't been used. To smuggle drugs and other contraband. Pokemon. Pelipper, it's a it's a pelican. It's got that big mouth. You could just shove all the drugs in you there. Could put all, you could put all sorts of hooch in there. <laughs> in the probation era. Oh. You could fill it with so, hooch and it could supply the many poke speakeasies. So so that's everything I had on the news list. Did anyone else have any newsy things they wanted to talk about before I we get to know. Final Fantasy VII? I mean, the ESRB is vaguely <sighs> rating loot boxes now. There's not much yeah. to it. They've just added a, in parentheses under the in-game purchases. They've just added um, includes random items. Um, that's their concession to it. Too little, too late. Like it's when it's better than nothing, but it's, it's not enough. It doesn't that's mean anything. The ESA. That's everything the ESA does. It's better than nothing, but it doesn't mean anything. It's not. Yeah, it's it's not in any way specific enough to be helpful to the consumer. Yeah, the the way I thought about it was like this is not specific enough 
that a mum who knows nothing about video games will look at this box and understand the implications of what it means. Well, to them, it's all random shit. Yeah. That's their argument for not calling them loot boxes either. And there's logic to that. Though at this point, after mainstream like BBC coverage and shit, I'd say loot boxes is a more understandable term for people than random items now. But they can't they can't call it gambling mechanics because that would be showing the hand. Yes. Yes, so. and that's really what it should be. If we're going to be honest, it, it should say includes at least something like simulated gambling. Um, although it's not even simulated, it's uh, literal. It should say literal gambling. Could could you could you describe it as like paid slot machine item allocation? Uh, uh, gacha bullshit. Oh, now gacha. <laughs> yeah, try explaining gacha pawn to a Western mother. Yeah, they'll understand the bullshit bit. Uh. <laughs> That's what it should say on the front of every FIFA every year. It should just say in big, big bold letters, bullshit. <laughs> Uh, should we talk about Final Fantasy VII Remake? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, um, so we'll, we'll start with the not-spoilery stuff on this. Yeah, so yeah. How, how are you getting on with it, Jim? I beat it this morning, finished it this morning. Would have been last night. Would have been last night, but I died during the final battle, which is actually... Yeah. Actually, that's a spoiler. Beep all that, Justin. Um, suffice to say, beat it this morning. I, I will say this. I've not beaten it, but I am aware of... Because I work on the internet in games and I couldn't not become aware of because, yeah. you know. Well, my um, my life since Friday 12am has basically been Final Fantasy VII Remake. I've been playing through it with um with my fiance Jane. Yeah. So we, we played like 20 plus hours of it over the weekend and we plan to do the same over this upcoming weekend. It's it's one of those ones where it's like, I know the and that, and I've played enough to talk about it mechanically. Therefore, I feel like I can wait till the next weekend to finish it. Yeah. So here's the thing, I, I love it, but also it's a surreal head fuck as someone who is so intimately familiar with Final Fantasy VII. Yeah. As 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 it existed in its heyday as an original game before all of the other weird lore and stuff. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, I'm familiar with that lore as well, but even then, like, this is, the stuff this thing does is on its own wacky ride. I'll, I'll say this. When this game is attempting to recreate, uh, attempting to recreate stuff from the original game, like set pieces, encounters, story beats, it does so in a very faithful way, usually, that, like, those moments feel like you remember them and are very lovingly created, and a lot of these environments are like, oh, that's, that's a beautiful way to, to revisit that, that place that I remember very well. It definitely does take some liberties, however. I will say, I will go as far as to say that the opening bombing mission that was available as the demo yeah. is almost the same as the tanker mission in Metal Gear Solid 2, which I think also was available as its own demo, and also... It was the demo, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and also gave you this impression that it would be familiar territory, and then the main game boots up, and it's this wacky fucking ride that you weren't expecting. I've, I've been loving it so far. Like, mechanically, I really enjoy the combat system. Yes. I will say... It's a lot of information to track at once. 
Um, I've been playing, as I said, I've been playing this with Jane, like, and we've been swapping the controller back every couple of hours. What we found really helpful, and I think we'd have struggled to play it without this, was one person who's got the controller will be, you know, hitting the buttons to dodge the attacks and do their 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 smacks and whatnot, and someone else is watching all of the meters in the oh, bottom right good. to go mm. to go. Uh, your reach your regen's finished. You need to redo regen. Yeah. Oh, your barrier's down. Uh, okay, you've got an ATB. Ch- oh, you've got limit gauge on that character. It's the ultimate co-op game. Yeah, it's. It's been honestly really nice having someone to just fun. keep an eye on all those MMO style meters. Yeah. <laughs> Cause it's it's a lot to keep track of while also doing like I'm gonna dodge out the way of this like you know, proper action game combat. <laughs> I sadly didn't have the same tactical oversight, which which yeah which sounds so useful. You can see why I would find it helpful, right? Yeah, yeah. I Finally got a good handle on the um, combat by about, like, the third to last chapter. Mm. Now I'm like, I loved it before that, but I was it was so busy, I just couldn't wrap my head around some of the strategies. But towards the end, far further than I'd like to admit, everything actually finally clicked, and now I'm, I'm getting how to use each character, because they're all very different um, themselves. I, I also really like what they did with the equipment, uh, the, the weapon system, where each weapon has its own unique ability, that if you use that ability enough times, you then get that ability on all of that character's weapons. Oh, that's cool. I think, I think that's a really cool way to encourage you to, when you get a new weapon... At the very least, try it for 30 minutes. And if you don't like it, you can get its special ability on the weapon that you do like. Yeah. You've not you've earned something by trying the new weapon, and you don't have to go back to it. And every weapon feels like it, you could viably use it um, throughout. Yeah, they, they all have different specific uses, but they all level up enough that, like, even your, your early game weapons feel useful at the end if you want to use them. Well, and it's nice to see that sort of progression system that Materia has be then extended to weapons as well. That's kind of cool. Yeah, it's exactly. So, like, for Cloud, for example, uh, you know, uh, the, the Buster Sword might do the most, uh, the most raw attack damage, but there might be a different sword that causes him to do better uh, magic uh, attack stats. You might have one that has significantly more materia slots. You know, like they all have the thing that that weapon is good at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which it, it does a good job of making it so, like, if you want a specific party member to play a specific role in your team, you can spec them towards that really easily. Yeah. And um, I also want a Devil May Cry style game where you play as Tifa using those fucking controls because she is amazing. Oh my god, yeah. Once I finally got to grips with how, like, they wanted her to be played, oh, she's so fun. Yeah. And all of them, like, like, have great little personal mechanics um yeah which is i found funny because the original final fantasy 7 one criticism fans at the time had was the characters were very similar materia kind of even the mm-hmm. playing field everyone yeah. could have the same spells the same upgrades etc um so this feels well it's an answer to a lot of things but it does feel like an answer to that as well where now yeah. every character is very different. They can still use the same materia, but you might not necessarily want them to. Yeah, it was really only a matter of, like, their limit breaks before that you wanted specific ones in your team. Yeah. Well, like, off the top of my head, the one that jumps to mind for me is a good reason you might want Eris on your team is because, um, 
she can cast like this circle on the ground, and if you do offensive magic from within that circle, it casts twice for only taking the MP of using yeah. it once. Mm. And she has like really good offense now as well. Yeah, yeah. Like she she's a really good all round. Like you can have her as your healer, but you can also have her as like park her here, put your offensive magic user in that circle, let them do like basically double magic for the same amount of MP. Get one character who's your like big offense up the front, like. It's really easy to, like, build team layouts like that yeah. and to feel like everyone's serving a role. I have a regret... It's the one game, actually, where I regret that there isn't anywhere for effective grinding to take place. Yeah! Me, me and Jane were saying this. Because I, I want more of the battle. I want a place where I can just go and enjoy the battle system. Well, the Colosseum. There's the Colosseum, and there's some other stuff, like, late game. The Colosseum is in theory the place where you do it. But that's that's like 20 hours deep into the game before you get anywhere where you can just go to do a bunch of fights. Yeah, and even that's like in like not as convenient as just like some wild area where I could explore. That would be nice. I wanted just like you know those like junkyard areas where you sometimes get sent to do go kill the thing missions? Yeah. Let me go there when I'm not on a mission and there just be stuff roaming that I can fight. Uh, there is some opening up of that, but it, it just doesn't quite feel like. Yeah, I know the, the encounters are so sparse; it's it's not worth it. Um, and yeah. you you don't really need to grind to level up in this game. But I just I just want to engage more with the battle system more readily. It is a little frustrating. Like if you want to grind, the option isn't there. Like if you hit a point where you're finding it slightly too difficult, but not a huge amount. Not so difficult that you want to lower it a whole difficulty level to get over it. You're just like, I just wish I could get like two more levels so that I could pop this thing up on my weapon and I'd I'd, I'd be doing slightly better. There's not really anywhere to do that, which is kind of frustrating yeah. that the option isn't there. I'm interested to see how they handle the overworld after this. Yeah, yeah. that is. Oh well. I mean, <laughs> well. Well. Mm, mm. Oh, we'll get when mm, it we'll comes to after this. <laughs> yeah, when we get to the the bit oh. where we're going to talk about some stuff, don't mm, we're going to talk about some stuff. But, um, uh, yeah, I I really I really enjoyed the writing a lot of a lot of the the characters. I love it. I here's yeah. the thing, Namura. It's so campy, and, and you know we'll get to Namura getting on his bullshit. Oh but yeah, I yeah. find a lot of his work unrelatable because. It, it's drenched in such nonsense. The Fraser heart can live anywhere, even in data. Tanks <laughs> any emotional connection I could have to his work in general. This has made the original cast so much more relatable. I'm shocked. Um, and, and, and it's gone into great detail into sort of explaining, just with characterization, how certain characters got into the position they were. Like, if you play the original Final Fantasy VII, Barrett is more or less just an asshole for the first act or so. And you wonder, like, why is anyone hanging around with this abusive man? And in this one, in the remake, they show that the guy's a fucking charismatic leader. He's He just cracks out with these speeches to inspire people. It's just a great... Um, dimension to him. He's he's like that, but then also there's these little moments where you get like the softness of him talking about like the the way he talks about reading children's books to his daughter, for mm -hmm. example, is adorable. Like you get these bits of like he's really impassionate about this one thing, and it's a big important thing. It's the fact the planet is dying. He's really impassioned about that, 
but he's also like you know he's he's got his moments of uh, you know my whole life isn't yeah. the planet is dying I have I have things outside of that and they emphasize that you know he knows he knows his shit as well like he's yeah. not just like fighting because he's you know mad at shinra like he's a planetologist he knows shit he's an informed person who knows that the planet is fucked yeah (laughs) Aerith also is just charming as hell in this all of them really i think they did a really good job of just like making all of these characters really come to life in a great way oh yeah and like don corneo oh my god he's basically like an adam west era batman villain now yeah and it's incredible and i will say like with this with the writing overall i haven't laughed at a video game for intentional reasons for quite some time like i have with this like there's some genuinely yeah. really good comedy and some satire in there mm. and can i say the 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 cross-dressing scene the scene i was a bit nervous about like okay how are they going to bring this into a modern setting i think they did a really admirable job of making that scene no longer ha 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 isn't it funny there's a man in a dress it was cute endearing and hilarious for other reasons yeah no the ju- the punchline wasn't that's a man in a dress like quite the opposite like they make it like this really nice celebratory like there, there is this whole line that a character says in there about like hey why should beauty be limited by gender but a boundaries and it's like that's that's the energy this scene should have and then it turns into this incredible dance scene that is just the best oh i want i want final fantasy dancing all night give me the persona dancing game but for final fantasy please (laughs) this game's such a trip it's so fucking there is so much i love about this game it's yeah and, and avalanche as well like the the characterization that's gone into them yeah. and fleshing them out. Wedge is adorable. I want to yes. I want to get high and eat pizza on the couch Aww. with Wedge. I just want to I just want to smoke a joint with Wedge and watch some terrible TV. Which is fitting cuz he's voiced by uh, Badger from Breaking Bad. Yes, he is. It took me a while to twig that's where I recognized him from. Yeah, I could tell like it wasn't until Justin pointed it out. Oh, the new characters they've introduced. Oh, yes. Fucking Roche, the 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 bike fucker and yeah. um the fleshed out like johnny was in the original but they fleshed him out nuri lowenthal's playing him obviously yeah yeah they've got some some really good original characters which and they fit really well into the yeah. into the world they they did they did a really good job with a lot of the incremental characters they added along the journey that are there to sort of flesh out and expand that journey rather than making big alterations those characters all feel really wonderful as additions. Yeah. I'll say that. So, Oh, and one thing I was going to say was when I played the demo, I had fears that everything was going to be too po-faced and serious, like modern mm. Final Fantasies often are. And Not at all. They showed Heidegger in the demo being all stern and serious. And then I was worried about that the first time you see him in the game, he's all <laughs> doing the old laugh from the game. And, and I'm like, okay, yeah, uh, I'm on board with this. And any changes they have made have all been for the better. Yeah. E- even Character Cloud, is- who is definitely the most po-faced character, like it's played for his straight manness is played for laughs. It is at times, but I will say out of, he's the only character I, didn't feel was improved he was he just he's so flat i there's i can't get invested in the man yeah 
there, there is one moment that I think was like a great example of them managing to use his his po-facedness for humour. And again, it's around the cross-dressing scene. It's when a certain character compliments him on his outfit and he shuts them up mid-sentence to go, shut up, I'm rocking this look, I know it's perfect, let's move on. <laughs> and he sort of just so matter-of-fact does it. It's like, that's, you, you did a good bit of humour out of, out of straight-facing that. Yeah, Jim is the most po-faced of the characters, but I didn't think it was like as bad as some Final Fantasy protagonists in that regard. Also, this game is, it goes all in on Sephiroth. Like, there's no, like, oh, enigmatic yeah. build-up like in the original. I mean, you see it in the TV commercials. He's there front and centre. Um, yeah. Yeah, they, they, had, they couldn't resist. They couldn't resist. Well, I mean, I think that during the bulk of the game, the way that they were building up Sephiroth, I think it was a, was a reasonable way of sort of introducing who he was and why he might be important as the plot progresses. I'd find it tackier if he wasn't performed so well. Like, he nailed yes. not just, like, the whole, ooh, Sephiroth is so cool, but also just, like, the, the genuine creepiness that the guy has. Yeah. Like, he's not just some badass, like, he's a fucking creep. Which, by the way, Hojo in this yeah. is startlingly, amazingly villainous. Uh, I'll just say that. I'll say he rivals Volgin now in terms of just piece of shit villains. Mm. Um, I won't go further than that. And it's all, again, mostly in the performance. He doesn't do anything too spoilery different, but they nail just what a oh awful fucking, basically a Nazi doctor kind of guy he is. Just, ugh. Yeah. Very good. So... That's everything that we, I think, that we can talk about non-spoilery. Right. Do we want to move on to, like, say goodbye to everyone and then do the spoilery bit? I was going to say, Conrad, Yeah, are you all right with sticking around for that? Because I don't know if you were intending to oh, play. Oh, I have not. absolutely no, I don't care. All right. <laughs> I, all right. I'm going to hit out with something immediately. Well, like, you, you, you yeah. talked about spoilers on Jimquisition this past week. And, uh, yeah. you know, one of the things that, like, from my perspective... I'm never bothered by spoilers. I totally understand when people are and when they feel like the experience of viewing something for the first time uh, is, you know, made worse by having some foreknowledge of how mm -hmm. that's going to go. But that's not how I view consume media. I, mm. I, as I go along, generally, if there's a twist, I've usually spotted it anyway. Because they can't really be subtle with that stuff, or it doesn't work. Or if they are subtle and it doesn't make sense, well then fuck it. It was stupid anyway. Uh, so I I always appreciate, to some extent, like when I know there's something in there, I'm watching to see how they construct it and how they make it work. So mm. yeah. Well, uh, in in that case, if you don't want spoilers for Final Fantasy VII remake, this is the point to maybe you know, even if you've played Final Fantasy VII, <laughs> but you don't want spoilers for remake, now's the time to maybe. I'll count them down. I'll give them yeah. five seconds. They can rush to their their luxury stereos and turn it it's off. It's been lovely to to have you yeah. listening this week, and good goodbye before Bye. we talk about the thing. See you next year. Right, five. Four, three, two, one. Nomura has given himself narrative permission to do whatever the fuck he wants with Final Fantasy VII, and that was this yeah. entire game. It was an entire narrative setup to tell the audience he gets to do what he likes. 
Yeah, so this, I understand why they didn't call this Final Fantasy VII Remake Part 1, because it sure as hell seems like as soon as they're finished with uh, with this bit of the narrative, it's like, yeah, we're not remaking the original game anymore. No, the Final Fantasy VII Remake is called that, and other games are not called whatever remake, because they're being fucking clever. Yeah. And what they're actually saying is they are remaking what Final Fantasy VII is with that game. Yeah. Basically, if... If um, well, so illustrate for Conrad, please. Um, they've added things to the game, and because Nomura is Nomura, he likes his weird little shroudy things without personality. Right. Yeah. So you've got your heartless, you've got your nobodies. In this now, you've got whispers, which are little shroudy hooded things. Oh, it's it's de- it's dementors. It's They're floating dementors. cloaks. They float around like dementors, and they seem to be doing things that um, like the hooded guys from Kingdom Hearts, right? Yeah. 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 At yeah, first, yeah. it looks like they're trying to like get in the way or hurt people. But then, as you, like, I almost called it towards the end. Yeah. I got it the wrong way around. I said, these whispers seem to be doing... Because some of the changes some of the uh, changes in the game are made to the narrative in strange, contradictory ways. But then, these things show up and change course. And I thought, those little ghosty things are trying to change the original Final Fantasy VII story. Hmm. I got it the wrong way around. They are trying to protect Final Fantasy VII's original story <laughs> from Tetsuya Nomura, who is on a meta level trying to fuck with the story. And then it turns out towards the end, you as the player get to defeat the Whispers who are trying to preserve the original story so that you as the player are complicit <laughs> and are giving Nomura permission yeah. to do whatever the fuck he likes. Yeah, so you start getting all these weird flashes of... um. Like, oh, that's not how that played out in the in Final Fantasy VII as I know it. It they're basically giving themselves, but they feel like they're building up for Eris might not die this time. Yeah, it it does look like he's he used this game to make canon his fan fiction in which Aerith lives. Um, and here's the thing: it's on on a on a visceral level. This infuriates me in its arrogance. Really? Because, uh, like, on a on a deep emotional level, I, like, I love this. This makes me want to play it more than anything. But every other part of me thinks this is genius. Yeah. Yeah. I Here's the thing. I love this as someone who is trying to look at this not as, like... <sighs> As its own work of art, I think this is fantastic. Taking a thing that people love and going, oh, you wa- you wanted to just have that again? No, we're doing it different. Yeah. Go on a go on a journey. Be surprised. I love that. However, marketing wise and messaging wise, this is gonna piss some people off. Oh, and I has. don't blame people. Oh yeah, and I don't blame people who are pissed off by this because this is not what people. People got excited for the last X number of years because it's like, hey, that game that you love that has aged kind of poorly and is tough to go back to, we're going to make it in a form that is much easier to revisit. I'll say this. Everyone jumped down my throat when I did that video where I said modern day Square Enix might modern day Square Enix it up. Yeah. And everyone told me to shut my fucking mouth. But like, here's, here's the thing, like... Through the start of it, I I didn't think they would because I was like, so much of this feels like a really just faithful love letter to let's just take this thing that people love and let you revisit it in a more modern way. And I'd have 
I'd have very much enjoyed that. It would have been a great thing to have, but I am weirdly fascinated by what we have instead. I I, I just think, I think it's a fucking audacious, but very clever move that leaves me slightly conflicted, but I do overall love this game. And I'm also very fond of remakes and reboots that do not erase the original canon, even though yeah. that's literally what this game is. But to do that, it acknowledges that the original game happened for it to have changed. Yeah. Um, it reminds me of the J.J. Abrams Star Trek, yes. yep. where that did the similar concession. The Kelvin timeline. And yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I like, these, I like these ideas that preserve the original without necessarily trying to replace it. Here's, here's the thing. I love that this is happening. Part of me kind of wishes we could have both. I kind of wish we could have our cake and eat it too. I because yeah, like I I was really enjoying playing through this as a way to revisit a thing that I have a lot of uh, joy for, and I I love that, that that this is clearly something very different. But like, there is a bit of me that is a little bit sad yeah. that the thing I thought I was getting isn't gonna happen. I think, honestly, I think part of what's made me so accepting of this because I can easily envision a world in which this is so insulting to me. Um, but I think it stems from the belief that I have asserted for a long time is that Final Fantasy VII doesn't need to be remade. <sighs> um, there are certain things I feel are perfectly sufficient. I, I, I personally kind of disagree i think i think that final fantasy 7 as wonderful as a thing as it was has aged yeah in terms of its like mechanics it is a rough game to try and go back to at this point and i i was personally really excited for just here is a new way to yeah to, to, to go back to a game that I love, but I really struggle to justify putting the time into anymore. I mean, I think I'm, I'm just trying to ex- suss out why we've got different um, views towards the ending. The way I feel about this whole thing as you describe it, I, I think is whenever I see a sacred cow, I want a hamburger. <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> well, that's, that. here's the thing. I, I, I agree with you if I know up front. I love the idea of subversion of expectation and taking a thing. <laughs> I that... like the obs- I like the idea of subverting my expectations when I know it's coming. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, okay, let, let me reword that. It's not even the, the subversion of expectation. It's I love the idea of taking a thing that is supposed to be untouchable and going. But what if we play around with it? What if we forget the rules of what this is supposed to be and see what it can be if we put those constraints aside? Yeah. It gets complicated when you're asking $60 up front for it. Sure. Yeah, and that's, I I feel like that's the thing, is I'm not saying I don't like this twist. I'm saying I feel, I feel really mixed about it because I purchased a $60 game that was very much pitched as... A thing that I, I wanted the thing I paid $60 for, and it feels weird to me that they've bait and switched me. Mm, see, and then there's, then there's the other... It, it's a weird feeling. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm saying that, like, it's a it's a weird feeling that sits with me. But I want to bring it back to the spoiler discussion. Yeah. Uh, because I think this is one of those situations where anybody who waited a week, anybody who waited a week would know this. Yeah. And that's it. Like, that's, yeah. like they're, the surprise for that aspect of it is gone in a week tops well actually i will say people have been really good generally online about not spoiling this 
I've had it spoiled on me because it's my job. Well, yeah, but, but at the same time, like, <laughs> I, I, this is not the no. first time I'm being told that Nomura is up to some bullshit, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. one of the first things I saw commented about it was that someone called it um, Final Fantasy VII 358 over two days right. recoded. And yeah. so I, I'm um, not unsympathetic to people who can't who went and spent 60 bucks expecting one thing and getting something entirely different from what they expected. But at the same time, you didn't have to rush right out uh, and and engage in consumer capitalism as media as immediately as you could have without first getting some no. background. Would you like an oxygen mask to help you up there on your high high horse? Like it's easy for me to say this because I'm poor as fuck. Okay, <laughs> but I I I agree with you, Conrad. But also, it's it's one of those things that like equally. I'm not going to say, hey, this game, this this remake of a classic game came out and you know the classic game and everyone is saying, oh, mechanically and gameplay wise, this is wonderful. We're not going to tell you anything about how it ends. You know, it might be a little bit different, but, you know, we're going to stay we're going to stay spoiler free. But it's a really good retelling of the events that it retells from the original game and go, yeah, there's there's nothing in that non-spoilery thing that tells me I should. this isn't what I think it is. It's like an individual planet in the Kingdom Hearts games, yeah. where you go and you get a, a retelling of the Disney movie that you're partaking in, but it's concerned with this original bullshit that Nomura's cooked up. Where, and it's it's to a lesser degree in Final Fantasy VII Remake. And I'm not trying to victim blame here in any way. I'm trying to be clear, like, I, I'm not upset that this is a thing. I think it's right. fascinating. And I'm, like, given a bit of space from finding this out, I'm like, I'm really interested in this. Um, I find this fascinating. I feel really bad, however, for the people who get 10 hours into this and go, I'm really loving this retelling of this thing I love. This is exactly what I wanted and that don't know that it's going to be pulled out from under them. I think, to be fair, because I, I made sure I did not know the ending at all. Um, I was completely inoculated for that because I'm a, I'm very good at avoiding, avoiding spoilers anyway. Yeah. There are certain things, the names of which I won't mention because I'm such a spoiler ninja. There are, there are twists, famous ones I still don't know. Yeah. And refuse to play and or watch the original thing because I'm that kind of dick that would enjoy not knowing a spoiler for something I never intend to engage with. Um, but anyway, uh, where was I going before I preened my own feathers? Um, you didn't know the spoiler, the, the ending spoiler at the end thing, but yeah. Oh yeah. Cause we're saying, you know, I don't think you can get 10 hours in and not expect some subversive bullshit. Yeah, but I, I think you I think you could be ten hours in and not expect this level of subversive bullshit. Maybe not. Maybe not. I mean I, I just I picked up the clues. The whispers were not that subtle, I don't think. No. They 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 were very present in the narrative, but what exactly they were doing was like I I think you could be you could be ten hours into this game and go Hmm, some things are a little different here, but like, it is overwhelmingly retreading the same story beats. Maybe it's gonna throw something in I'm not expecting, but like, I, ten hours in, I still thought that like, at the very least we were still gonna get the next game was gonna be, here is the next third of Final Fantasy VII, maybe with some weird bullshit going on. I don't know, like, I, I, by the time I got to the first hub area and was doing weird fetch quests, 
Um, I, I realized that this was not straightforward. And then by the time I was engaging in motorcycle chases with all new fabulously extravagant characters yeah. and then robbing Jess's yeah. dying dad's house, I, I realized this is yeah, not again, a remake. That's, that's, that's the thing. It's like those changes to me didn't feel on the scale of we're going to rewrite major plot events from the series. This felt like we're fleshing this out by giving you some different things to do that recontextualize like some of the pathway along the way there. None of those to me signaled we are fundamentally changing the nature of the story we're going to tell. None of them to me signaled no. we're going to we're not going to give you the full Final Fantasy VII as you expect it. That was the end reveal. That was that was the subversion. Yeah. But I feel what I'm saying is I feel the game adequately laid the groundwork so that that shouldn't have been a massive trapdoor fall for people. Well, that, this is what I'm saying is from 10 hours in when I got that that ending spoiler, I was like, oh, that felt like the rug being pulled out under me. Well, that's the other thing. You've heard the spoiler early. Yeah. But even then, I think like that's my point is that 10 hours in, I was not expecting... Like, I was expecting, here are little changes along the way and, hit, like, little extra scenes and little extra characters thrown in. I was not expecting, we are going to fundamentally not give you the rest of Final Fantasy VII, as it was. Like, that, that's what I mean, is I think, like, you could be ten hours into this and ve very much like I was go, I am very much enjoying, basically, like, here is that thing, but a modern kind of tweaked retelling. Yeah. Again, I, you know, I, I'm sure, I mean, I can tell from the reactions many people feel outright hoodwinked. I, I got far enough into that that I was, I was in that camp of, I am really enjoying what this is. Yeah. And I feel like I've set my expectations and I'm very happy with what I've received. And it feels, I think that's part of where it felt weird was... I, I have got what I expected I was getting and I'm very happy with it and I'm very excited and then, yeah, but no. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm excited to play more of of this type of game. I'm excited for more Final yeah. Fantasy VII, whatever comes, because I love that battle system. I love the characters. But now that he has freed himself from the shackles and literally, well, literally, I mean, I mean more or less, literally at the end. I mean, I, like the final text says something like, "Oh, the unknown adventure begins," and all this stuff. Yeah, my fear is he's now freed himself to double down. Oh yeah, on the fucking Kingdom Hearts bullshit. This is what I mean. Is I'm excited conceptually about this as an idea. I don't trust Nomura to do it. Well, yeah. I mean, this was what I said about the entire Final Fantasy VII remake from the beginning, and everyone said I was an idiot. I think you've just drilled into my point. Uh, the, the point I was trying to sort of dance around was I was really enjoying this retelling of Final Fantasy VII's story because Nomura can retell an existing story and apparently do it real well. And I'm suddenly like, oh no, yeah. this is going. This isn't going to be Final Fantasy VII. This is going to be a Nomura story. <laughs> That's a very genuine fear that I totally agree with. I'm I am concerned that I'm going to get a Nomura story when I paid for a Final Fantasy VII well, story. <laughs> and so here's here's another like um, opt out of consumer culture kind of. I'm curious yeah. how many people are going to play Final Fantasy VII remake and get to the end and be like, this isn't what I wanted. I'm not going to buy the rest of it. And I think this is a very good strategy 
for Square Enix to take this approach of putting out, like, originally when they, you know, it was like, oh, well, this is just the first part of it. I was like, oh, well, that's kind of, it's kind of shit. I'm not going to wait around months, you know, to get the next installment of this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'll just wait until it all comes out. I'm more likely to buy it now knowing that it's going to completely ship things up. Yeah, I mean, it does make so much more sense of why they did it this way. Like, that makes so much more sense. Right? It's giving people the opportunity to be like, hey, you get to have all of that stuff that you wanted, that you've been begging for for years and years. You get to have a small little piece of that. And now we're going to go do our other thing. And so they're trying, I think, to have their cake and eat it too and satisfy people who would want something old and want something new. Um, That being, you know, satisfying the audience and then satisfying Nomura personally, maybe even, and nobody else. That could be the case. Um, I don't think think like sales of remake 2 or whatever they wind up calling it are going to be impacted at all by this i mean here's the thing as well i feel right now in the immediate aftermath there are a lot of raw opinions something tells me the time between now and whenever the next one comes history will be very kind to this Mm -hmm. and we'll see it as a very clever move but history will only stay kind if the next yes. one is as good. Yes. Yes. I I totally agree with you. And that's the thing. Like, I recognize that I'm giving you my opinion while I still feel like there's a lot of like, I recognize they are contradictory feelings mm-hmm. I have, but they're all still bubbling around. And I think it's, you know, I'm not going to beat myself up over that. It's a weird situation that I have weird feelings yep. about. Yeah. But. but I mean, this team's proven it can make amazing emotional connections more than i felt in a while to characters um genuinely heartwarming characters endearing moments comedy like some real fucking good comedy stuff i relate to without having that relativity snipped away by weird bullshit about hearts living in data if they just remember they can be that good and they don't have to go fucking stupid with it the whisper stuff is they didn't need that whisper stuff they could have come up with something that doesn't make me cringe into my own fucking skull but like here's here's the thing like i know i've been i've been the more critical voice here or the more like i can see i i have my my bits of me that feel a bit weird about this but there's a reason that when we talk the non-spoiler stuff every word i had to say about this game is positive because i am fucking loving it i love it the a, combat system yeah. i love the look of it i love the the writing the 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 humor the way they do the weapon system it's great i and here's the thing i fully expect to love this game right to the end of it and i'm very excited to play a second one i you know that's gonna win out that's the feeling that i'm gonna take away from this is i had a great time i want to play another of these yeah but like, it's going to be really weird when like the the next one of these comes out and Eris doesn't die and then she becomes a heartless and then her <laughs> heart has to go live in data. Well, the in- the interesting thing there is is I'm a big fan of, of bold narrative decisions, yeah, subversive ones, ones that derail a story if they're done well. Um, you know, it's why I'm a fan of of um, you know, the whole Song of Ice and Fire and all that stuff. Um. So I'm at once very impressed by the bold move of of rewriting history, but also juxtaposing that against the cowardice of undoing another bold narrative move, which at the time was one of the, the most evocative deaths in the medium. Well, that's 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 the reason I keep thinking about that one is I'm like, now that I know what they're doing with the next one, I'm like, 
they're not going to be able to resist. There's no way Namura specifically will be able to resist undoing that. Oh yeah, I think this whole series, this whole series has become a rescue attempt to Varith. <laughs> yes, and they're going to do it. And I'm like, you know what? I don't know whether that feels brave or cowardly to yeah. undo like one of the bravest decisions of the original game. I don't know. Like they already undid the deaths of two characters. I don't. I don't think it undoes it. I, you know, I think that the only way it, it is better is if, like, we all expect Aerith to die and she doesn't. Or we all expect this game to not to save her and she dies again. Yeah. You, you know what I honestly wish had been the situation? I wish this first part had gone on longer and had gotten to the bit where Aerith would die and that had been where they twist the thing and go... Wait, she didn't die. Yes, because they tried to recreate that by having Sethoroth stab Barrett and make you think he was dead, but then five minutes later bring him back. Yeah, the, uh, mm, mm, yeah. I, here's the thing that's so far into the game, though. That's so far into yeah. the game that, like, you, you, you made the comment of, you know, oh, I'm 10 hours in and all of a sudden, could you imagine how upset you might be if you were 25 or 30 hours in when you get that? Yeah, but I'll, I'll say this. They've changed the order of certain events in this mm. game. And it's generally minor stuff like, oh, the plate falling, you know, happens uh, in a different order with the going to the, the, the wall, uh, the wall, ga wall mm -hmm. garden. Um, like they swap some of those events around. They could have moved the heiress thing earlier and then undone it or something. The length of it is part of the reason why I thought, why I wasn't so shocked at the subversion at the end, because at certain points I'm like, I just enter Wall Market and then I think, fuck, in the original I'll be halfway up the Shinra building by now. There's no way they can fit any any more in. So I, I that's part of the reason I was, I was expecting something dramatic to occur, which only got only gets more clear as you play. There's no way they could have followed the original Midgar story with the amount of extra stuff they were throwing in. Not just the padding, like the side quest, which is just pure filler, but, you know, these big diversions, like that whole submission with Jesse and, and everything. But yeah, I, I, I do think that history will will have a special place for this game. Yeah, I honestly think you're right, and I'm like... I must say, I am impressed that Square Enix kept their mouths shut about this and, yes. and managed to get it out and into people's hands. And here's the thing, you know, we would you know we were talking a couple of weeks ago when this game started leaking on Street Day early, and I believe it was you who said on this podcast, Oh, are they really complaining about spoilers for a twenty year old game? I'm like, I get it that I get it now. I get why Square Enix were like, Please don't talk about this until it comes out because we want to get some people with this. We want to we want to catch some people off guard. And it yeah. is still just so weird. Like the passage of time is nightmarish and 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 awful and it's so strange to think about the fact that full-grown adults who are, you know, grew up playing video games weren't alive when Final Fantasy 7 came out and could yeah. be spoiled by. Yeah, it. there are full-grown adults with kids. Yeah. Yeah. But like I, I think you're right. I think that this is overwhelmingly going to be positively received in the long term. I think I think I am excited about it. It's like I, I know that I have talked about my like weird feelings of oh something feels weird about this, but like I know that long term that's not gonna be the feeling that sticks with yeah. me. Yeah. It's not often a mainstream game is still able to pull the rug out from under you. Yeah. It's you you know what this kept making me think of? The beginner's guide. Mm. 
in that whole very last minute, like, we're going to suddenly make you feel very differently about the whole experience you thought you were having. Like, I... I th- there's something about that that kept coming to mind when I think about this. Yeah. And I think overwhelmingly, like, that... That subversion of expectation and that sort of... Taking what you think you know, or even what you think you want, and going, that's not what, what you've had. Like, I could see myself replaying this with that knowledge and yeah. you know contextualizing it different I'm, I'm i'm fascinated by this choice well, you get yourself a chapter select at the end so yeah um by the way i don't know if you've seen the the redesign for rufus shinra but if you want to know where mm. where namura stuck his belt obsession <laughs> my god <laughs> He's more belt than man. It's amazing. Character's uh, very fucking cool. It, though. As I've told you many, many times, Laura, in conversation, um, because we do a D&D live play podcast yeah, yeah, and yeah. occasionally some segment of the audience gets very passionate about whatever mm. it is we're doing. Audiences don't know what they want until you give it to them. Oh, and yeah. yeah. That's, so any sort of upset about it, I just I can't I'm I'm willing to wait it out and see where it goes and at the end of it if it's shit fine right now whatever yeah no that's that's the thing like I as I keep saying I I think the fact that I'm expressing my my like my feelings of mm, this feels weird should not be taken as I'm not happy that they did this I am ecstatic they did this and I am I'm willing to to keep going with it i'm excited to see where it goes i am hopeful about the idea but i can simultaneously feel that way and also go there is a bit of me that's sad that i'm not getting the thing that i kind of wanted yeah Yeah. like i kind of i kind of wish i had them both i'm just glad that i expressed worries about square enix doing all kinds of weird fucking shit ages (laughs) ago but also that I love what they did, so yeah. I'm having my cake and eating it too. I here's the thing: by the time we record this next week, I will have seen the the rest of the build up to to that happening. So like, yeah, maybe we'll chat a bit about it again next week at the end of the show once I've I've because here's the thing: I'm gonna have the benefit of at least knowing it's coming. Which I think is probably going to make me enjoy that ending more. I really do think, though, as you yeah. as you keep playing, you will see the breadcrumb it's the breadcrumb trail. It's leading you to be more adequately prepared for what's coming. And that's that's the thing. I think that is part of it. I think that like part of my shock is having this having been spoiled before. Like the breadcrumbs really ramped up, and it wasn't a gentle lead into it. But like, I, I. <sighs> I'm not upset I was spoiled. I'm actively excited to... As, I think it was you, Conrad, that was saying you like to know a spoiler sometimes so that you can watch, like, how are they going to sprinkle the lead right. up to this. And, like, in this specific situation, I am happy I know that's coming because I'm fascinated to see how they build to that. I'm I'm fascinated to see how they get there. Yeah. Uh yeah, I'll I'll come back to this next week with my like now I've actually seen it in 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 person how whether whether the the I feel differently about it. <laughs> All right, fucking good. Yeah, there we are. That was a fun little discussion. Yeah, yeah. It's been a while since we've done one of these spoiler yeah. chat uh, things. Yeah, I'm putting a uh, impressions together for it, and I've uh, I've got I've had so many thoughts. Yeah. So yeah, there's a there's a lot I'm still unpacking about it. It's uh. 
It's a remarkable game. No matter what happens yeah. with that going forward, it's it's going to remain a remarkable game. I have so far had a fantastic time with it, and I don't see that ending anytime soon. Yeah. 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 Should, should we... Do we do the, the outro <laughs> stuff for yeah. the people who are still here? Yeah. Why don't you tell people about Me? it? Yeah. Laura K. Buzz in all the places. Laura K. Buzz, Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, Patreon. That's the one that pays the bills. LauraKBuzz.com. You can find links to all the stuff I do. Um, some particular things you should check out on there at the moment. There are links to a 20-minute uh, or so uh, documentary podcast I did for the BBC recently about uh, last year's H-Bomber Guy charity livestream. I believe it's called something like How Donkey Kong Became a Trans Icon. You can find a link to that on laurakbuzz.com. It's very good. It's very long. It's very good. I, I was real proud of how that turned out. It was it was several weeks in the making and then several weeks of delays because of coronavirus, but I'm real happy with how that turned out. You can also find a link on there to my, uh, my thoughts about Little Hope, which I wrote a big piece for sci-fi about you can find a link to that on laurakbuzz.com i also do a bunch of podcasts uh pixel square it's about video game porn um queer and pleasant strangers where i talk about stuff that isn't exclusively video games uh i've got books uncomfortable labels that's out now things i learned from mario's butt that's out like at the end of this year and then there's Dice Funk. It's a Dungeons and Dragons podcast. Uh, I'm on seasons three, four, five, six, and soon season seven. Uh, we did a one shot recently where I got uh, Mari, who is my co host on Pixel Squirt, Casey Explosion, my fiance Jane. Uh, we all did a game of three octopuses in a trench coat, which is basically Octodad if you turned it into a D&D campaign. It got real horny real fast. Go check that out on the Dice Funk feed. Uh, you know who else is on Dice Funk? Conrad. Oh my god, that's true. I am on Dice Funk. You can hear me on Seasons 5, 6, and soon 7 as well. Uh, you can also hear me on Spinoff Doctors, uh, which we're going to be doing the... Uh, hopefully we get to record Sonic the Hedgehog this week. Um, I'd like to do that if we can. Um, Wednesday Yeah, Friday may work, yeah. Yeah, maybe, fr maybe Friday. Okay. Yeah, so, um, and, and boy, do I have some things to talk about. <laughs> yeah, I got your message saying it was a, it was an insidious film. Yes, yes. I mean, there's, and there's, don't get me wrong, there's positive things you can say about Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, and the fact that it is one of the best video game movies ever made really says a lot. For, for all of its flaws, there are some, there are some interesting, enjoyable things yes, about it. Yes, and then there's Jim Carrey. Um... <laughs> So, yeah, tune in for that next week whenever it releases. Um, you can also hear Boston's Favorite Son. Go find that, and maybe we'll put out an episode in uh, April or May. Um, other than that, you can buy buttons that I make that are uh, cynical and occasionally funny at pinfultruth.com. You can buy audiobooks that I record at conradreads.com. And you can give money to Jim on Patreon because he has a Patreon. Patreon.com slash Jimquisition is the Patreon. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, support, as, as I've been saying, is, is really welcome at this time, at this uncertain time, which isn't so uncertain for me, because there ain't many places to go, and I already know the trail of hospital bills that follow me around. So, you know, as I say, I appreciate it. Um, I'm alright, I'm, it's not, it's just, I'm, I'm in a lucky position where it's just more fucking wearisome than anything else, and just unpleasant but uh you know um other than that i don't think there's no there's nothing <laughs> i was about to say are there any wrestling shows but no 
no. Um, there really isn't a lot more I can tell you, except we'll see you next week. Uh, bye. Bye. Bye.